Thank you, Brother Austin. That hymn ought to be part of every one of our services. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I'm sure you remember the story of that hymn. A little lady in England, very, very poor. Her husband was a slave trader out on the Atlantic Ocean. Her job was to take care of her little boy. She went to church faithfully, and her pastor one day preached on the importance of teaching your children about Jesus. She went home determined to do that, and she remembered something the pastor had said, you need to invest in your little children while you can. They may be taken away from you or you may be taken away from them. She never forgot that. She went home and found John 3.16 in her Bible, began to teach that to her little boy. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. Whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. That little boy learned that verse. When he was seven years old, his mother got desperately sick and died. That little boy never forgot that. You know, when you place things in a child's mind, the Bible puts it this way, train up a child in the way he should go. When he's old, he'll not depart from it. That doesn't mean he'll never get wayward. It doesn't mean he'll never disobey. It does mean that what you've taught him will always be there. If he accepts it and lives on it, it will bless him. If he rejects it, it will be a curse to him, but it'll always be there. Years and years went by. John was a slave trader with his daddy out on the Atlantic. A big storm came up. He thought they were going to die. And John got on his knees and God brought like, like a flash to his mind, his mother, teaching him that wonderful verse. And he said, Lord, if you're real and that verse is real, I call on you today to forgive my sins and save me and take me to heaven and I'll live for you. Miraculously, the storm went away. John went back to England. He became one of England's great preachers. And years later, he wrote those words, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. And he told somebody, the reason I got saved, because of my mother. He said, I don't know whether she prayed from heaven or God just remembered what she had said when she was with me, but God moved in my heart. We can never tell the effect of the investment we make in somebody else's life. Pour your life into somebody's life and God will bless. I think of another man in England who had souls on his heart. He'd go out and knock on doors, give them tracts. If they let him, he'd tell them about Jesus. He went to one particular door. It was, a, it was a cold, snowy day. He knocked on that door and a woman came to the door and he started to give her a tract. She said, I'm not interested. Slammed the door in his face. 
name was Roland, he went out on the front steps, knelt down in the snow, and prayed for that woman. And then he began to sing, but drops of blood can ne'er repay the debt of love I owe. Here, Lord, I give my life away. This is all that I can do. The next Sunday, I think it was at Spurgeon's church, a lady came in service. When she spoke to the pastor, she said, I want the same faith that that man that came to my house. And I turned him away. He went out and knelt in the snow and prayed for me and then sang that song. She said, I want that kind of faith. You never can tell the investments you make. This was in Paul's mind when he wrote to the Corinthians in chapter 10, wherefore, whether you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give none offense, neither to the Jews nor the Gentiles nor to the church of God, even as I please all men in all things, not seeking mine own, but the profit of many, that they may be saved. That was the big thing on Paul's heart all the time, that they may be saved. He was saved on the Damascus Road, began immediately to preach about Jesus. They put him out of Damascus. He went over to the Assyrian desert, spent three years by himself, and went back to Tarsus. Some of the disciples had gone down to Antioch and people were getting saved and Barnabas was there. And Barnabas left and went over to Tarsus and got Saul, whose name we call Paul, brought him over to Antioch. And together they preached for a year. Revival broke out. And then God said, separate me, Paul and Barnabas, for the work that I had for them. They left on a missionary journey. They went through Asia Minor, came to Lystra. And at Lystra, Paul preached about the resurrected Christ. They stoned him and left him for dead. God miraculously protected him. He got up and he left the city. But he made an impact on some young man's life named Timothy. Two or three years later when Paul went back, he found Timothy there. And Timothy said, I got saved when you got stoned. Can I go with you? Timothy was about 17 years old by then, maybe 16. He began to go with Paul and they went on another missionary journey and God blessed him. The missionary journeys eventually led to Corinth. And at Corinth, Paul spent 18 months. He didn't usually stay very long. He stayed a little while in Philippi, maybe three weeks in Thessalonica, went down to Athens, and then went to Corinth and stayed there 18 months, poured his very life into that church. And when he left, he left a church that he had taught doctrine and truth. But he heard later by a lady named Chloe and her family, somehow there's trouble in the church. There are problems. If you want to read about a problem in a church, read the Corinthian letter. They were divided over leaders. They were divided over whether to grow in Christ or not grow in Christ. And Paul had to say in chapter three, you're carnal, you're babes in Christ. You've not grown up. In chapter four, 
He said, it's required in stewards that a man be found faithful. In chapter five, there was immorality in the church. In chapter six, believers were taking each other to court. Chapter seven, they were confused over marriage. Chapters eight and nine, they were confused over whether to eat meat offered to idols. Finally, in chapters nine and 10, Paul describes his lifestyle. And he says in chapter nine, verse 22, to the weak became I as weak, that I might gain the weak. I made all things to all men that by all means I might save some. The big, big thing in his life that they might be saved. That was the main purpose of Saul's life, the new man named Paul. And when you become a new creature in Christ, that needs to be our big, big theme. That's what prompts us to go with Christ after the loss, go and knock on doors. That's how we win people to Jesus. Did you know that Dr. Robert G. Lee, the end of his ministry, said one of the heartbreaks of my ministry has been that so few of our congregation try to win souls. Roland Q. Level, who was president of the seminary at New Orleans for some time, wrote a statement saying 95% of Baptist churches never try to win anybody to Jesus. They go to church, they give their tithes, they never go and knock on doors. That's beneath them. That's not their work. That's not their ministry. They're supposed to do something else. They teach Sunday school. They sing in the choir. They sing solos. They do all kinds of stuff, but they don't go and do the main thing. Paul said, my main business, that they might be saved. That's the reason I'm alive. That's the reason God saved me, that they might be saved. Well, I want you to look at that word for a moment, the word saved. It's from a Greek and Hebrew background that involves deliverance, safety, preservation, healing, soundness. All those words are involved in the word saved or salvation. The word also includes the great doctrinal truths that we talk about often. Maybe we don't always understand them, but I want you to think of this in Romans chapter eight, verse 29. If you wanna have your Bible open to that verse, you might take it in a little bit better. Chapter eight, verse 29. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son. He might be the firstborn among many, many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called. And whom he called, he also justified. And whom he justified, them he also glorified. All that is involved in the word salvation. Now, some people try to make salvation just some experience, emotional experience where you come forward and cry or kneel and, and pray through and so on. And uh, you get saved for a few days and you go sin again, you're lost. That isn't what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that when you get saved, you're justified. That is a legal term in which the, the judge on earth brings down a gavel and says he's not guilty. Whether he's guilty or not, 
He says he's not guilty or he's pardoned. That's what Jesus did at the cross. He paid the full penalty for my sins and your sins. All of our sins were placed on Christ that day at Calvary. Everything you've done from the time you were born to the time you die, all of our sins were placed there. And Jesus died for it all, once for all. If that were not true, then Jesus would have to die again and again and again. That's what the Catholic Church teaches. That's where they have the Mass over and over and over again. They reenact the crucifixion of Christ every time they have a Mass. They go through all of that and they say, now you come and take this communion and you're taking the body and blood of Jesus and you're gonna be okay. A bit more, maybe I've oversimplified a little bit, but that's basically what they teach. Many people practice that whether they believe that or not. I don't know how many people walk down this aisle and say, I need to get saved again. No, if you were once saved, you're, you're saved. You can only be, Jesus didn't say he'd be born again and again and again and again and again. You're born again one time. Free from the law, oh happy condition. Jesus has bled and there is remission. Redeemed, how I love to proclaim it. We're justified by the power of God. In Romans chapter five, verse one, therefore being justified by faith. In the word justify, you hear the word just as if, just as if. That means before God, you're just as if you had never sinned. God made you like that. It's not because you never sinned, it's because of the judicial act of God whereby when Jesus died on the cross and God, Jesus looked in the face of God and said, Father, forgive them, they know not what they do. God the Father and God the Son made an eternal agreement that whosoever would believe in Jesus would be pardoned. I read about a criminal up in New England. I know you've heard the story before. He was guilty. He was on death row. His mother went to the governor and pleaded for pardon. The governor was so moved by that mother's tears, he wrote out a pardon. He gave it to a messenger to take down to the warden. The warden took it to the prison. They went down to the jail cell. They showed the man the pardon. They said, if you receive this, you're pardoned. The man looked at it. He said, I don't want it. And the man said, well, you're pardoned. The governor's pardoning you. You don't have to die. I don't want it. They called an immediate session of the Supreme Court. And the court said, a pardon is no good unless it's received or accepted. That's what it means to accept Jesus. He has earned a pardon for your sins. If you don't accept that pardon, there's nothing waiting you but a fearful looking for of judgment in a place Jesus called hell. But the pardon is available. That they might be saved, that they might be justified from their sins. Another doctrine is the doctrine of redemption. It means buying back. It was as if we were on a slave market being sold to the devil for sin and Jesus comes and pays the price and buys us back. Redeemed how I love to proclaim it. Redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Another word that's involved is the word grace. For by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, 
not of works lest any man should boast. His grace is sufficient. Another word is propitiation. In 1 John chapter 2, 1, my little children write these things unto you that you sin not. If any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, and he is the propitiation for our sins. The propitiation means the meeting place. He is the meeting place between you and God. He's the mediator. And when you come to God with your sins and you're honestly repentant in your heart, not just because you got caught, but because deep inside you're really sorry. You're sorry you're a wicked sinner. And nobody can be saved unless you recognize he's a wicked sinner. Now, when you're little, a little child, they may not realize all the adult sins or even the teenage sins, but there's an awareness there's sin. I remember sitting in church when I was five years old. I was sitting next to my mother. And Dr. Gibson was pointing his finger out at the audience. He would do that repeatedly. He'd stand over here and point his finger. And that finger landed on my heart. And I punched my mother and said, Mother, is that man fussing at me? Why did I think that? God's Spirit was dealing with my heart. I could have been saved then. Little children can be saved. Big children can be saved. Any age can be saved. And Paul said that they might be saved. They brought some little children to Jesus one day. The disciples forbid them, said, don't scram, the, the, the Lord's busy. And Jesus rebuked them. He said, suffer the children to come to me. Forbid them not, for of such is the kingdom of heaven. And then he said in chapter 18, Matthew, except you become as a little child in your faith, you can't enter heaven. See, so a little child is teachable. A little child is humble. A little child believes. Except you become as a little child, you can't enter heaven. He is a propitiation. He gives imputed righteousness. Now listen, not one person in this room can say I'm righteous. But if you've been saved, you can say, I have the righteousness of Christ. It's an imputed righteousness. God clothed you with his righteousness through Jesus Christ. That's the reason a righteous man ought not to live like an unrighteous man. That's the reason Paul wrote all these things to the Corinthian Christians. He said, you're saved. You're a Christian. You don't have to be immoral. You don't have to take each other to court. You don't have to be all confused about leadership. You're God's children. You have an imputed righteousness. If you don't have that, you're not saved. It's an imputed right. It's something that God gave you, an imputed righteousness. Involved in that term salvation is the word forgiveness. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. Involved in that same word is sanctification. That means you're set apart for God. You're God's property. When you give your heart to Jesus, you become his. Chris told us in a testimony in song a while ago, something about what happened to him, how God changed him. God did that from within. Little by little, the outside's being sloughed off, but inside, a new man in Christ, an imputed righteousness, and he's been set apart as God's property. That's the reason we need to live like God wants us to live. That's the reason a preacher has to preach on standards. That's the reason for rules. <laughs> That's the reason God says, 
do unto others as you would that they would do unto you. That's an eternal truth that everybody needs to learn. And then the term glorification is involved. Glorification refers to heaven. It's what's going to happen when we all get to heaven. We'll be glorified. We'll be in his image. In 1 John chapter 2, chapter 3 rather, Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore, the world knows us not because it knew him not. Beloved, now are we the sons of God. It doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. That's glorification. I haven't seen Jesus personally. By faith I have. The pictures I see, none of them really measure up to what I think Jesus looks like, especially those with long hair. Incidentally, I went to Rome. I examined the lifestyle and the hairstyle of the Roman emperors. They all had short hair. That long hair syndrome came about during the dark ages when people were trying to picture what Jesus was like, said they had long hair. I don't believe that. But anyway, you can believe what you want to believe. But none of the pictures I've seen picture Jesus like he really is. But one day I'm going to see him. These eyes are going to look upon him. And I'll kneel before him. I'll say, Lord, I have nothing to give you. Simply to thy cross I cling. Thank you for being my Savior and my Lord. That they might be saved. Salvation in the Bible is in three tenses. The day you give your heart to Jesus, you're saved from the penalty of sin. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. See, when Christ comes in, he gives you the desire to walk after the Spirit. I was saved on August the 11th, 1939. My sins were pardoned. That's past. But I'm being saved from the dominion and power of I've talked to people about their salvation. Sometimes they say, well, I was saved 10 years ago, but I got away from God. I probably need to get saved again. No. If you were genuinely saved, you were saved by the power of God, but you've not allowed the grace of God to flow in your life, so you're not aware of being saved from the power of sin. Listen, everyone in this room, if you're saved, you've been born again, you're being saved day by day from the dominion and power of sin. Sin shall no longer have dominion over you. You're not under the law, but under grace. Thirdly, I will one day be saved from the very presence of sin. I haven't been saved from that yet. The presence of sin is all around us. You go out the door. As a matter of fact, you stay right here in the church. You're surrounded by people whose lives do not stack up, whose attitudes are wrong. I've heard people say, well, I'm not coming to church because there are hypocrites over there. <laughs> it's interesting, they don't stay from, away from ball games because of the hypocrites. You ever know any hypocrites at a ball game? Any hypocrites that play football or basketball? Sure there are. 
Any hypocrites on the television? They glue themselves to those soap operas and they're all hypocrites. They live one way and act another. There are hypocrites in the church, but it takes somebody smaller than the hypocrite to hide behind them. But listen to this, we are being saved from the very power of sin, and one day we'll be saved from the presence of sin. One day we'll be like him. That's the reason we sing so much songs about heaven. When we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing that will be. When we all see Jesus, what a blessing. You see, many of the Christians have a homesick in their hearts for heaven. Now, that doesn't mean you want to get on the next train going there, but it means that you have a desire that's heavenward. That's the reason you want to live a life for Christ here. When a person no longer goes, enjoys going to church, there's something wrong. He's lost his desire for heaven. Now, church isn't heaven, but church is a place where you meet people that are on the way to heaven. We're on a train going on. We make stops. We encourage people to get on, get on, get on come on, get on this train, go into heaven. Some accept and some reject. We're on a road going heavenward. What a joy it's going to be when we see Jesus. Well, let me quickly close. There's one plan to get people to heaven. When Jesus went back to heaven, there's an old Jewish legend that says, and there's no truth to it, but it's a legend. When Jesus got to heaven, one of the angels met him and said, Lord, what have you, what have you done to let your story be told? You, you, you just lived in a little tiny country named Israel. The whole world from heaven, we can see North America and South America, and we can see Africa, and we see all these nations. What have you done to get the word out of God out there? And the legend says, well, Jesus said, I, I told my disciples to go and tell. But suppose they don't do it. Jesus said, I have no other plan. I don't have plan B, C, D. My only plan is for you to go tell. That's the reason in churches around the world today, the word of God is being preached. They take offerings. Part of that offering goes to send the gospel to the other parts of the world. That's the reason from time to time somebody will walk down the aisle and say, God is calling me to take the gospel somewhere else. We have people serving the Lord around the world who once sat where we sit because they took seriously what the Bible says, what Jesus taught. Well, let me close with this thought. Paul was willing to suffer, rebuke, persecution, being thought less of just for Jesus' sake. If you read the story of Paul, you read the story of a man who was flogged, who was shipwrecked, who was imprisoned, who was beaten, who was beheaded, that they might be saved. I read the story of George Washington Carver, great noble black man. He was involved in a great university in the South, one of the top leaders. He was walking down the street one day, and a white woman saw him. She said, boy, 
come over and take my garbage up at the back. It was the Old South. And George Washington Carver went out, picked up the garbage, took it out to the back, and came back and said, thank you. That woman didn't say a word of thank you. He walked on down the street. A few days later, he was out walking again, and another lady was there visiting this lady. And uh, Mr. Washington walked by, and the lady said, do you know who that is? The lady said, I don't know who, she, who he is. He was came by the other day, took my garbage out back. Oh, she said, that's George Washington Carver. He's involved in the university. He's one of the greatest black men alive today. That woman was stung to the heart. She went to the university, tried to get an appointment with Mr. Carver. The secretary gave her a little trouble, and while the trouble was going on, Mr. Carver walked out into the office, and she came with tears in her eyes. She said, I want to apologize to you. I asked you to take my garbage out. I didn't know who you were. Oh, he said, I was glad to do that. It was okay. That's what Jesus did. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, took upon him the form of a servant. Being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself. He became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. But it all involves our inviting Christ to come in. He knocks at our door. Do you hear him? Would you say, come in, Lord Jesus. Come in. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you that Paul's whole life was consumed with that one theme, that they might be saved. Help us as a church to have that one theme in mind. May that be the reason for our bus ministry, our soul winning work, our school, our chapels, our missions, and our offerings for missions, and for young people offering their lives on the altar of service, that they might be saved. And Lord, we pray that someone in this room today will sense the need of salvation, will open his heart to Christ and come to Christ. In Jesus' name. Let's stand, please. We're going to sing an old hymn. I believe it will be a blessing to our hearts. Number 154, Jesus is tenderly calling thee home, calling thee home. I think this is the song they were singing the day I walked down the aisle and trusted Christ as my Savior. He'll save you today if you let him. And if you're already a Christian, are you living where God answers prayer? Are you really serving the Lord? There's some that ought to come forward today and say, I want to start serving the Lord again. I want to be not in the periphery. I want to be right in the hub of the middle of the wheel. I want to serve God. And there are others that ought to come and say, I need Jesus as my Savior. While we sing, what page is it? 154. Jesus is tenderly calling. Will you come to him today while we sing?